I'm a horror and science fiction author, critic, and researcher. In this podcast, I wanted to provide in-depth interviews and panel discussions with everyone from New York Times bestselling authors to researchers, musicians, and anyone I find interesting. Welcome to Postcards from a Dying World. Welcome to a special episode of Postcards from a Dying World. This is the third in my series of World War II films that inspired The Last Night to Kill Nazis. So that's the reason we're here, is to promote uh, the release, as we record this next month, of my uh, World War II vampire novel, The Last Night to Kill Nazis. It all takes place on May Day, 1945, the last uh, day of the war, um, which uh, now, look, these two movies that we're going to talk about, they're themed together for many reasons, but one of which is that I said all these movies are ones that kind of inspired the book. I had not seen either Army of Shadows or uh, Five Graves of Cairo in years before I... Um, wrote last night to kill nazis but they were in the back of my head because um the main character of the book uh noah sanovich who's a uh jewish american oss agent um some of his backstory that is kind of off screen to me was very influenced by these movies um in a sense um but the theme that unites them is the year 1943, which we'll get to in a second. My guest today, to help me break it down, is my old buddy, uh, historian, librarian, David Woken, um, who you might recognize if you're a listener of the Dickheads. He, he joined us on the Moon is a Harsh Mistress coverage, which he um, said the, uh, uh, the thing that made me most laugh the hardest on the entire history of the Dickheads podcast but you're going to have to go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear uh, what it was. Um, uh, it was, I, I'll just give you a clue. It was a joke involving Stalin. Um, Wait, I'm not sure if I remember. I think I made one about Lenin. Um, oh, Lenin. Yeah. Yes. No, it was Lenin. You're right. It wasn't Stalin. I would not, I, I would not have said what I said about Stalin. I'll say that. But, okay. Yes. It was Lenin. You're right. Yeah. Uh, wrong Russian leader. However, um, there's a couple reasons why uh, my uh, old homie, uh, David Woken, uh, otherwise known as Evan Dave, uh, was one of my choices uh, to talk about this movie or became the guest, is um, Dave and I have watched a lot of movies together, so we like talking movies together. We <clears throat> were roommates at one time. And one of the things that I love about uh, Dave and his um, take on movies is that, like me, he likes shitty movies and very good movies <laughs> and is just as knowledgeable on schlocky crap as yep. he is fine cinema. And so today we're going to be talking about what I consider to be mostly fine cinema with yeah. a little tiny bit of schlockiness involved. Um, so uh, welcome to the podcast, Mr. Woken. Hey. Um, yeah. 
Le- you- Neil, yesterday is a great illustration of what you just said, where I watched the two movies we were going to discuss today and then followed them with uh, the 1990s direct-to-video classic, Uncle Sam. <laughs> I have not seen Uncle Sam. So. You know, it's the same writer and director as the Maniac Cop series. Larry yeah. Cohen wrote it and William Lustig directed. It's not as good as the Maniac Cop movies. Not, not as entertaining, I think, is maybe the better way to put it. Uh, but you can, it's very strong Maniac Cop energy. Imagine Maniac Cop with a dead soldier instead of a dead cop. Um, there you go. Well, listen, yeah. if anyway. we can talk about Maniac Cop and these films, that is exactly what I'm talking exactly. about. Um, <laughs> well, and that's just it, is that I've always loved the fact that, um, you know, there are certain people who you can you can watch fine entertainment with, but they're not going to sit down and watch Class of Newcomb High with you. Um, and somewhere in between, you got to have friends that will do both. So, um, yeah, so these movies that we are covering today are The Five Graves to Cairo from 1943 and the 1969 film Army of Shadows. Um, both of these movies are ones that I saw when I was far too young to get how good they were. Um, and then recently rewatched them uh, for the first time in forever. Army of Shadows, I watched a couple months ago. And uh, Five Graves to Cairo, I rewatched a couple days ago. So our, Five Graves is a little more in my head. But um, mm-hmm. uh, the thematic connection between these movies is the year 1943. Uh, Five Graves to Cairo was made in 1943, and the original novel, Army of Shadows, was published in the same year. And Army of Shadows, the book, was... um, And both of these stories are stories that were written during the war, which is interesting, right? That these stories came out from the time when the war is... The end of the war is still speculation, not um a foregone conclusion uh so that makes them a little different and the other thing about army of shadows the novel which i haven't read but i read a lot about it's hard to find an english translation of it uh, was published in algiers in 1943 so it was the first look mm. that the international community got from a member uh joseph kessel who wrote it um was a part of the french resistance and um he was already a novelist by the way published many novels in France and uh, had to smuggle the book out of the country, which is pretty cool. But we will come back to Army of Shadows in a little bit um, because we're going to talk about Five Graves to Cairo. But uh, Mr. Morgan, had you seen either of these movies before? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, no. So Five Graves, I was not aware of before this. Um, but uh army of shadows i saw it must have been like so it was never actually officially released in the u.s until 2006 and i must have seen it shortly after then it was definitely late 2000s um right and i think beyond the our movie interests like i had a deep interest in guerrilla warfare and resistance movements and so that was one of the reasons i was really keen to watch army of shadows because everyone talked about it being a very um, grounded depiction of the French resistance, um, which I guess would be one thing we can say about contrasting movies uh, is how grounded they are. Not that Five Graves is fantastical, but um, yeah. it's a bit a bit more stagey, a bit more you know of a classic movie story. Um, Absolutely, and everyone just got a clue as to one of the other reasons why you were someone I invited to be on this podcast. Um, 
it's funny too because army of shadows uh on film twitter got uh kind of a boost a couple months ago or well about half a year ago when uh film critic jacob hall uh compared um, the Star Wars series Andor to a Star Wars version of Army of Shadows and yeah. which I thought was a really um, interesting comparison and I it was fun to watch film Twitter a bunch of people on film Twitter go and discover Army of Shadows because it was compared to Star Wars but you know hey we'll take it um, yeah uh, so Five Graves to Cairo is a 1943 film Dag right smack dab in the middle of the war directed by billy wilder who is one of the most famous screenwriting and film directors ever with 21 academy award nominations seven wins uh in his life he's won the bafta he's won the big prize at Cannes. he's most well known for movies like some like it hot the apartment um and uh of course double indemnity which he would make a year after this which was really his big break as a film director um with that and of course if you don't know that movie that's the classic noir movie from 1944 like kind of um groundbreaking and kind of set the stage for noir movies as a whole like that's Mm -hmm. one of the gold standard noir movies but Billy Wilder's interesting in this case because he fled Germany. He was Austrian and he fled um, Germany because he was a working screenwriter in Berlin when the Nazis came to power and he fled. And, you know, uh, that's so he has direct experience with um, hating Nazis and, um, you know, being a, a part of that whole thing. So. Yeah, and, uh, it's interesting. I've wondered about that, and I wasn't able to dig into it. But also, a lot of the cast playing Germans were actually Germans and Austrians, and I would not be surprised if a lot of them were also folks who were either Jewish or anti-fascist in their politics and had to flee Germany. Right, and it's one reason why the German accents in the move in Five Graves to Cairo are accurate, and actually, people are speaking real German in the background. Mm -hmm. Uh, which in Hollywood movies at the time wasn't always the case. Um, Now, the casting of Rommel is really important. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, But this Five Raised Cairo is a remake in a sense. It was the third time this story had been told on screen uh, because it's based on a 1917 play called Hotel Imperial, which was a World War I play. I've never seen it. Can't really comment on it. But it's it's my assumption that that this play that took place in Europe during World War One, they just kind of took the framework of the story and mm-hmm. turned it into the Five Graves concept, which is the um, which we'll get to the plot in a little bit. Um, but um, so the uh, main actor who plays Corporal John Bramble is. Um, is it Franchot Tone? Is or I, I believe that's show. I don't know. Yeah, Tone. Yeah. Um, now, Cary Grant was Billy Wilder's first choice for this role, but he turned it down. Um, and uh, but Tone was um, married to Joan Crawford at the time, and had been in seven movies with her. 
Um, the only thing I recognized him from was from the Twilight Zone episode, The Silence. Um, and uh, But he was a working actor in a lot of stuff um, at the time. His co-star, Ann Baxter, who played Mooch, um, was the title character in All About Eve. It's her most famous role. Again, this role was offered to Ingrid Bergman, who turned it down. Uh, remember, Billy Wilder was not the big name yet that he yeah. would become, so he wasn't getting many of the actors he wanted. Uh, but the other really huge casting uh, was Eric von Stroheim as Field Marshal Rommel. This was a big deal because um, he's quite a character. What do you do? You, were you familiar with him before this movie? I mean, I, I'm I'm familiar with him as a performer. I didn't really know his biography. I mean, I, I got a little basics because I just looked up some little bit about the movie that apparently, as what I, my speculation that a lot of the folks were exiles from Nazism, he was not, yeah. right? He was an Austrian who came to Hollywood in the 20s. But yeah, um, but yeah he was, he's, a, he's a long time famous actor and ho- Hollywood actor. And before that, I think in German silent film too. But And director. And- oh, and director, right, yeah. He directed one of the most uh, act or one of the silent era's most famous and respected movies, a 1924 film called Greed. Um, Mm. And I've never seen it, but I watched some scenes from it and it is considered, uh, you know, Billy Wilder, I apparently said to him when he met him that your movies were 10 years ahead of their time. And he corrected him and said 20. And uh, uh, but Stroheim was a really interesting casting for Rommel because he was known for being insanely intense on the set of movies and like that he was like kind of a dictator on the set and he would scream at people. There's a real famous clip of him yelling at a giant uh, a scene of a bunch of actors where they were complaining about the conditions for a battle scene they were filming. And he said, I'm making this movie for theaters, not for actors. Um, And uh, was famous for being like kind of over the top and intense and that he had all these intense battles with Hollywood and um, at the time. And so when he got tired and fed up of making movies, he became a character actor and he often played villains um in movies and so for it was a big deal for him to be um playing rommel and it was that was uh pretty big casting and it was it was big deal you know for paramount and billy wilder to land him this movie was filmed mostly on the lot at paramount studios in hollywood um, all the exteriors uh, were filmed in the Salton Sea and at an army desert camp. Uh, so like, for example, the tanks are incorrect and, you know, they, um, you know, may do with what they had. Um, I didn't really scream to me. Like I didn't, I don't, I'm not knowledgeable enough to have watched the scenes. I mean, like, Hey, that's a U.S. tank or whatever. Um, but Regardless, this was all filmed in Arizona and California, which is, you know, very typical for Hollywood. Um, so, yeah, um, your first initial thoughts on on watching this movie, um, Dave, uh, 
five graves to Cairo. What, what was your first thought? I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought, you know, as far as I've actually seen a few different World War II propaganda movies uh, from the U.S. And some of them are there. A lot of them are corny as hell as you'd imagine. Um, but yeah. something like this is actually pretty good. Like, I mean, they took again, I don't have any I, I would I don't assume anything about it is really that true to the experience of the North Africa campaign. Right. Um, but I mean, as an entertaining sort of, um, you know, limited location thriller that ties into the war that was ongoing. I mean, it's apparently what they made it right after Rommel's defeat. So it's sort of like a fictionalized version of the like espionage around that. Um, yeah. I'm assuming like is how they played it, but it's actually really good. And again, it's one of those things with like, um, I'm always impressed when I watch a movie from the thirties or forties, we usually think of like action and stunts often not being very impressive or like things being kind of corny, but there's some moments in there that were really good that uh, I never, I, I think stand out compared to a lot of other, like the opening where the it's a derelict tank driving through the desert and you realize the crew is dead, something in the middle of a battle the tank was still running, but everybody got killed except for one guy who ends up being the protagonist. But like him waking up in the middle of this tank, just rambling through the desert, right. all of his crewmates dead was actually really good, really kind of intense and like surprising. Um, it's a really cool way to start the movie to like pull in like, oh, God, this guy's in a bad situation. Right, um, right. Really awesome, like tension right from the beginning. Um yeah, and Maybe. by the way, we're yeah. going to spoil, um, and I guess I should have said this ahead of time. Oh, that's that true. We can spoil, because here's the other thing, too, is if you have not seen these movies, I'm going to be promoting the idea that to try and tell people to watch these movies before. True. You know, but some okay. people will, 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 you know, but that's that's on them. We're going to talk about it. So, these yeah, are, that opening these scene. These movies is, are all both well over half a, half a century old, so right um yeah i you can't spoil a movie from the 40s at this point um so you had plenty of time to see it um so yeah this, this opening scene with the tank is great it's um you know it's a it, there's some parts of it that look a little dated but you know that's you you have to expect mm -hmm. that when you're watching a movie from the 40s and and yeah yeah you can't complain about that um, but yes, it's a very harrowing scene. And if you think about the idea of how intense it would be to wake up in the middle of a tank, like surrounded by your dead comrades and no, no, not even near the battlefield where it started, I'm assuming, like, we don't know how long he's been unconscious, but there's no signs of battle or other vehicles or anything. They're just wandering the desert in a derelict tank, you know? Yeah. Um, that would be scary as hell, especially this era. Um, it being as huge as it is, uh, but no, it's cool. And like, yeah, so from there, stumbles into a small town, into this hotel that takes him in. But um, I don't know uh, how we want to do this. Just sort of like, yeah, yeah, we can get into the story. But yeah, so um, when he, he wanders into this hotel and finds uh, where the British had uh, been there as colonialists, right? And, well, I think it's sort of the idea is it was a forward um operating base for at least part of the british military had been based in this small town and fighting rommel yeah 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 and his forces and that and in their escape our main protagonist british character uh kind of shows up there and um has to assume the identity 
of Davros, who was um, the waiter um, who uh, had died in when the um, was it was the, was it the Germans, Germans that bombed? Yeah, or yeah the, I think it's the Germans bombed the town, and as they were coming in, the British retreat, and so it's like they bombed the town right before coming in themselves. Um, that's the impression I got, but it was like the night before or something. There'd been bombing, and yeah, this guy had been killed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, convenient for uh, reasons of plot, Davros was a double agent. Uh, yes. He was feeding information to the Nazis. And so, but they had never seen him. So our British character can pretend to be Davros and uh, the Nazis will trust him, but don't know, uh, didn't know who he was to yeah. a certain degree. And then... Um, this sets up, of course, the, the tension of the people who run the hotel. There's a, um, an American, or, or was she supposed to be? Well, I thought she was supposed to be German or French. I think she's French, right? Because she, you know, she is, because they call her Mouche. And um, she talks about her brother, who she's, she's a French woman who's mad at the British. Because her brother had uh, fought at Dunkirk, had been fighting the Nazis, and had not been evacuated. And so he's being held by the Germans in a concentration camp as a POW. Right. Yeah. And her motivation is that she wants to get a deal from the Germans to get her brothers released. Yeah. And so she's not interested in who wins the war. She's interested in saving her brother. Yeah. And, and like I said, she also actively blames the british for abandoning him so she's already kind of hostile to this uh new guy um when he right. shows up right which sets up um and uh creates the situation with those two um Be- mooch and um our stand-in davros um I, i'm re- Colonel John Bramblin. I can't remember his name when I watched it. He said, "Okay, Bramblin." Right. Bramblin, yeah, Bramblin slash Dav- uh, Stand in Davros. Their tension between them. There's the guy, the Egyptian man who runs the hotel, which is frankly the worst part of the movie. Fareed, yeah, he's mostly just comic relief. He's your typical sort of cowardly, like the cowardly foreigner who's just sort of panicking while yeah. the stuff goes on around him. Absolutely, the worst part of the movie. Yeah. Um, fringy and bad um but uh so he does a few things that are not terrible but mostly it's a it's like, a pretty it's pretty just bad cor- it's just dumb comic relief characters as far as i could tell you know like we're just supposed to laugh at how incompetent and like scared he is about all the stuff going on around him um although also portrayed as fundamentally decent like he's the one who decides to save bramblin when he stumbles into the hotel and passes out and yeah. he never wavers from like trying to hide him and get him out safely. Um, yeah. So there's that. So that's not totally terrible, but yeah, yeah. there's definitely a part of it for sure. And um, yeah, so that, that was, you know, that's kind of the setup. So then the Germans come uh, very quickly in the movie and they want to use this hotel as their base of operations and not only did the Germans show up, but um, uh, among them is uh, Field Marshal Rommel. And 
it's interesting because when you if you watch the trailer that they made for this movie in 1943 a huge part of the selling point of the movie was the battle against rommel and (laughs) you know like i realized that rommel was an important historical figure to world war ii but i didn't realize that he was well known enough in the world that hollywood was selling this movie as the battle against rommel and i guess that's my naivety about the time you know i mean uh, he was yeah he was the he was the face of the german army in north africa like i think there's a reason we still know his name today right i mean he became this um, and also the fact that like now I am not a military history or military strategy nerd necessarily um, so my interest when I talk about liking resistance wounds and guerrilla warfare I was studying social movement organizations and that kind of thing so right. not really from a military perspective um, but my understanding he was a genuinely incredible military commander like he, just as a real um, strategic mind that um, which is also you know as the leader of the german troops in north africa and the way he was toying with the allied forces during the fighting there um you know he became sort of this larger than life figure for a lot of even even during the war right and just knowing the backstory that this guy who he got to play rommel was this hilarious over-the-top like dictatorial film director from austria is fascinating but his performance um as rommel is pretty 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 strong and a pretty intense part of the movie how did you feel about that performance i thought it was great i mean well so we talked about this a little bit ahead of time but um so five graves i didn't find out till after i watched it my wife and i looked it up and it's one of quentin tarantino consistently always listed as one of these movies that was a big influence on him and i will say stroheim i definitely got it's not the same, but I would not be surprised if, you know, Christoph Waltz was told to watch that performance before doing *Inglorious Bastards* or something. It's very, it's a di- it's different, but it, the idea of the like mixture of intelligence and charm with this constant undercurrent of like sinister, yeah, uh, danger is there the whole time, and like the fact that you know throughout it, he's he's sort of this mixture of both like a very urbane and polite to everybody around him you know he invites british he has all these british prisoners of war that they have in tow with them right because they're yeah. in the middle of the desert and so they what else are going to do they're dragging them along with them and he invites the officers from these british prisoners of war to dinner with him right and he yeah. sits around and he talks with them and it's all very friendly and and well you know what i mean like it's this kind of like i don't know what it'd be like you know this honor among fellow warriors kind of attitude that he has but at the same time as you can see the like just absolute terror he puts into people when he like turns on a dime and make gives an order um yeah yeah like in particular there's a point where moosh tries to like get close to him to lobby him about her brother and he's just has none of it it's just like stand two three two steps away and just all he will do is just coldly give her commands um yeah. and you can just sort of tell that like when this guy decides he's going to use violence or discipline or whatever it's not it's going to be firm and it's going to be uncompromising um yeah Yeah, absolutely and it's one of the more powerful scenes of the movie it's also a hinge point of the movie because um bramble as davros being able to hear um rommel 
um, gloat about how he's winning the war is how he's able to def- to yeah. give the information that you know would lead to Rommel's defeat um, with this uh, five graves concept, which is that um, the the idea that Rommel was able to um, do so well in the war because he didn't need to supply himself because he used these archaeology expeditions in the past to bury um, supplies in the desert in Egypt before the war um, as in planning ahead. And so these five graves are where the, um, the materials are being held. And if they could find these graves before the end of the battle, they could cut off Rommel's supplies is the idea. And so Bramble as Davros has to escape and get the information out. And um, there's some really, uh, really good scenes. Uh, there's a good yeah. action scene where the real life Davros is un, un, uh, unearthed by a further bombing scene. What do you think of this scene? Because I thought the scene yeah. was great. Yeah, it was cool. It was really cool. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, the central tension, right, is he has all these sort of cryptic references to how Rommel says he will win the war. And so Davros has to not be caught, but also find out what those are. Initially, he wants to kill Rommel, right? Um, And then one of those British officers, you know, they're able to, like, figure out, like, he's sort of able to surreptitiously let the officer know who he is. And the officer's like, no, don't kill him intelligence and so that's when he decides to start unraveling like what is he referencing when he talks about when he's had these references to five graves this one doctor and anyway they all eventually the british bomb the town because they know the germans are there and and uh so they all have to go into the cellar and that's where davros the real one was buried right they said that part of the building collapsed and he was buried under the rubble which eventually which all sank into the cellar um, but that bombing shakes loose some of the rubble and you see da- parts of Davros there. And so I can't remember his name because there's we haven't mentioned also one of the other, I guess you could say like there's the five main protagonists, right? You've got the... Um, the the German, the, the German lieutenant. The German lieutenant, right, who actually is one of the first Germans to show up before Rommel gets there. But um, um, who, It's uh, Schwitzwelger. Yeah, Schwitzwelger. and he, Schwitzwelger, and he he is uh playing moosh he's trying to you know he's saying he can help get the word around he can send some telegraphs get her brother out blah 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 and it's eventually revealed that he's just playing her and he's it's i'm not sure why but i think you know it's the 40s they won't say openly but it's pretty clear he's just trying to trick her into sleeping with him but um at least that's how i read it um but uh he finds the real Davros's body. And so then we get this chase through the abandoned um, hotel or the empty hotel while it's being bombed where um, it's landing in, uh, you know, as Davros and this guy like, chasing each other through this dark building and it's all lit just with flashlights. And for the fun, this is actually one of those, I mentioned like 1940s, we don't think of action sequences being great, but I think they did a great oh, job so on good. this one. It's yeah. so cool because basically, I mean, it's all, it's what a lot of movies with bad CGI want to do today, um, but don't, but can never seem to pull off. Uh, where it's all in dark rooms, and so just the like, just with flashlight movements and and sound effects, it's this really great tense fight. And in particular, the ending where it just the flashlight gets dropped, and they just focus on it, and you hear a lot of scuffling and then gunfire. 
but they yeah. actually pull off so really good. well where it's really unclear like who got got what um really excellent like again it's billy wilder so i mean next year he does double indemnity which is a suspense classic right i mean the guy knew what he was doing clearly um absolutely yeah, yeah. no and very good uh sorry gary's trying to make me uh, distract me um everyone uh but uh so here's the the thing about this scene is it kind of it forces the action a little bit where um you know now that this guy you know exposes who dav you know that he's not really davros then he has to kill the lieutenant but this puts um this puts mooch and um bramble at odds with each other because she was depending upon yeah um this lieutenant to help her but uh bramble has killed him and hid his body in her room which is kind of a dick move uh well it's sort of a servant's quarters the two share but yes it is very much a dick move put it (laughs) i'm gonna kill this nazi spy i'm gonna put him in your bed especially Um, considering there's so much rubble and abandoned rooms around there you'd think they well i mean it might be hard to pull off but still yeah yeah They they have options um still kind of a dick move um (laughs) but uh he does this there's a great scene of tension between them and this sets up a kind of a a setup and payoff for the final scene when um uh the lieutenant's uh body is eventually discovered um where and this is one of the coolest scenes in the movie where mooch basically um kind of makes a decision to like she's not going to get her brother but she can help um bramble get the information to defeat rommel and at the last second in a very tense moment kind of takes the fall for this if yeah yeah. and and um this scene is very tense and this is where you get the payoff of rommel and this is where i think you know you know, we were wondering why Quentin Tarantino had this movie so high on his list of, you know, it's a good movie, but we were wondering why it's so high on his list of movies that he liked. But I think Quentin loves seeing uh, movies where the um, tension and suspense is all built on dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I think that may be one of his influences here is that this whole scene is people talking. Yeah. And it's incredibly tense. It's incredibly nerve wracking if you get yourself into the position of the characters because she could turn him in. She could Mm -hmm. have like made a deal for her brothers at that point. And you think she might do that. Yeah. But at the last minute, she makes the right decision and 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 basically takes a fall. What do you think of this scene? I thought I thought this was made the whole movie. Uh, I thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was great. And um similarly yeah when i after watching the movie i was like okay i could see tarantino in this movie i was seeing inglorious bastards and also hateful eight it's it's a very like limited number of people bloody mystery in a hotel in the middle of nowhere like that's also very hateful eight but um the uh no i really liked that scene and i i definitely was in suspense about her and how she was going to react to all that i guess the other angle on this too is that the germans still because he killed this lieutenant no the germans still didn't the other germans still don't know that he is this british soldier that he's not this guy davros this german spy so they're going to send him to eat to cairo to help 
do more intelligence and lay more groundwork for their advance. Um, and so he's trying to let that happen. And she knows that. And so that, yeah, her taking the fall allows him to go and contribute to the war effort. But also I really like at the, I guess that leads to a couple of things. He, he, I think it's Farid. He gives the weapon to, and says, after I leave, um, you know, he's hiding this pistol that was used in the, in the fight. Um, and he tells Farid, like, after I leave, give them this evidence and say, I did it, that I was actually a spy who, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, basically tell the truth about me once I'm gone um, to say, spare her. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so you get a lot of, like, sort of, it, the whole movie is a lot of cat and mouse shenanigans, but especially at the end, you get a lot of that. And he does make it back to Cairo, tell the, the British about the five graves where all these munitions are hidden. Um, and helps cure this, you know, helps the war effort. And we get this sort of montage of like him working in a tank loading or whatever. And sort of the idea of the British taking back when they finally get back to town um, after what, five minutes or something of like this kind of general war footage that I'm assuming was like them filming soldiers training in the desert in SoCal or something, but um, <laughs> you know, uh, something like that. But, um, oh, and also he decides to buy a parasol for her that, while he's in Cairo. Because I don't, it was funny. I I will say at the end, it, it's a big deal about the parasol. I don't remember them talking about it. But... I don't remember them talking. I had the same thought, like, yeah. um, like, like, did we miss the scene where the parasol was? <laughs> or maybe she did mention it and he, you know, whatever. And it just I wasn't paying as close attention to that as a as a scene. But like, yeah, you know. And um, and what are the? I do think that the I did read that um, they did use some stock footage of like one of the actual battles oh, okay. from, and that they, um, when they wrote the movie, um, they didn't know that they would be able to get access to it. And like when they first started production, I, I think Rommel hadn't quite been defeated yet. So like they oh, wow. had to, I mean, this was like ripped from the headlines type. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. hedging their bets the whole way. Yeah, yeah. What, right. I mean, the fact that, I mean, Rommel was defeated in 43. The movie came out the same year, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty It's pretty intense that, that, it, that it happened that way. Yeah. 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 Pretty crazy. Um, yeah. Um, so, like, now that we've kind of gotten through it, um, before. Well, there's one other big thing, right? Because he gets oh, yeah, back yeah, to yeah. town. He gets back to town. He finds Fareed who's still running the hotel, still was able to stay alive. British set up their headquarters there again. Um, but then he finds out that Moosh, they killed her. And basically, was, the reasoning was, while well, she was found not guilty of kill, they actually did a court-martial for her. Um, and she was found not guilty of killing this German soldier, but that she had um, denounced the was it denouncing the state or something because she basically just kept saying you will lose you will lose like but during the trial she just went off on them um and so they killed her for political reasons essentially um <clears throat> and so he ends up so yeah bland blending uh ends up you know leaving the parasol on her grave and that's more or less where the movie ends but yeah and um a pretty powerful ending because also you know mooch in the beginning doesn't really like care about what's happening she only cares about her brothers and it's, like you know it's and... a it's a move common in a lot of these movies it reminds me of like it's a gender reversed casablanca kind of thing um 
where mm-hmm. she's the, the morally ambiguous character who ultimately decides to join the cause. Um, you know, right. I, I hadn't thought about Humphrey, that. that it's like Humphrey it. Bogart. I mean, and there's also to have and have not, which was set in Martinique during World War Two and similar and same thing. Bogey and Bacall. Um, not as good as Casablanca, obviously not as famous, but also very good still. Um, but yeah, that that kind of sto- that kind of element is often uh, the core in some of these movies, like that loyalty, the which side are you on kind of element. Um, and she gets to be that character in this movie. Right. Well, and um, I think overall, uh, especially for the era, um, I think this movie holds up pr- pretty well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and um, it's sad to me that it's it's kind of a lost movie. I don't, you know, I I I'm a huge fan of World War II fiction. Obviously, I wrote a book for it, but um, it, it's one that I don't hear much talk about, and especially in the canon of Billy Wilder movies, it's almost never, yeah. you know. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's a it's a quickie propaganda movie, right? I mean, it's a very yeah. good one, but it's not like not as groundbreaking as the a lot of the other stuff he ended up working on um or as subtle or you know i get it like this this is a well-made straightforward thriller versus Mm -hmm. something like the apartment i don't know which is a really like intense sort of comedy drama that yeah really touching and really subtle about like um you know these characters about love about I don't know, even like work yeah. and stuff like that in a way that this one isn't. It's a very straightforward war thriller, right? A spy thriller. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. And as well as these two movies are connected in the sense that they're related to 1943, um, that the, they're so different in the sense of, um, you know, uh, they're complete opposites in the sense of, um, and this is, you know, quite a segue here I'm building, but uh, sure. <laughs> you know, the, uh, Army of Shadows does not romanticize the resistance no, at no. all <clears throat> in any way. Whereas Five Graves is definitely a propaganda film. It's meant to make yeah. you feel good about the war effort and what's going on, and you know, which yeah. you know, yeah, like totally they put it opposed it the tr- to in the sense of that the world was fighting fascism at the time, yeah, and and Nazism. However, that being said. Um, you know, making movies that, you know, kind of glorify the war effort and don't, don't, um, you know, I wouldn't say that this movie completely avoids the horrors of war altogether. Um, Again, that, that opening in the tank and like, it's interesting watching these movies, the way they talk about concentration camps, for example, like, and admittedly, this is before the liberating of the actual death camps, but everyone understood that nazis treated their prisoners horribly right yeah um that it was that, that was they were interesting to me I brutal and ruthless yeah like you didn't have to say a lot more for people to get that like ooh, that's bad um yeah you know and also the fact that moosh dies even though with that turn where she ends up supporting the resistance and i think that's also it's you know it was during the war everybody was familiar like it is a war people there are casualties people die and so the movie wasn't shying away from like having a hero get killed you at the end and you know that even if despite our best efforts right that people we love might die in the war war effort right um but it is 
still, like you said, yeah, I agree with you. It is very much still trying to keep you optimistic about the chances of winning the war and how we're turning the tide. Whereas Army of Shadows is 25 years later and dealing with survivor guilt and with the the also the you know the the questions of the, the moral ambiguities that war puts before you. And, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's I can't remember the name of the other screenwriter, but Billy Wilder's screenwriting partner on this movie said <laughs> that you know, when he watched it, that it smelled too much of propaganda to him in the end and Mm. that they were constantly in a battle with like, what are ways they could dull the feeling of propaganda. So I think they were very acutely aware that the studio wanted a propaganda movie and they were trying to do what they could to not make it feel quite so over the top on the propaganda scale. But, um, but yeah, that's, um, that's, that's the, the way it was. Anything else you want to say before we move on to Army of Shadows and maybe you yeah. and I will take a break real quick. I, I mean, uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what I would say beyond. I mean, it's, it's good. Like I said, as much as we're saying it is World War II, prop- I'll be the first person out there that propaganda isn't necessarily always a bad word for me. Yeah. Um, and but it just means that you watch with a certain eye and understand that there are going to be saying certain things for certain reasons, right? And sometimes they can be propaganda for a good cause. And I think this is a good example of that. Like, it's getting trying to keep people excited and motivated to fight the Nazis. And it's done with a pretty intelligent, hey. engaging story. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Exactly. Um, so, you know, and so if you if you like a little tight kind of stagey, closed room type you know suspense thriller story sounds interesting to set during in the north africa campaign sounds interesting to you definitely worth checking out especially because it's like an hour and a half long and you can watch it for free you know um yes and um uh, yes i, I definitely recommend recommend the experience if somebody just wanted to hear us talk about it i think they definitely missed out they should see it Five Graves to Cairo is is a hard movie to find, except for her. It's on the Internet Archive. So, um, and if you don't know the Internet Archive, people should discover it because um, one of the things it does, for example, like for in my purposes, I use it all the time because a lot of the old science fiction pulps are digitized on the Internet Archive. Um, And so you can find, like, if you want to find an amazing stories from 1943, it's likely on there. Um, And uh, so that's where I watch Five Graves. I think you can, you might be able to rent it on YouTube. Um, I I know Army of Shadows, I rent it on YouTube. I did not find Five Graves on YouTube. The only place, I was having the hardest time until you sent me that internet archive link. Um, Yeah. But but yeah, that's up and totally free, so. um, Yep, so... Uh, no excuses. People can watch that. Um, yeah. And then, all right. All right. So after that amazing segue, uh, we're going to talk about our second film, Army of Shadows, the 1969 French-Italian co-production um, that didn't get released in the United States until I think it was 2006 or seven. Yeah, it was 2006. <clears throat> yeah. Um, made by uh, French director Jean-Pierre Melville, who um, was, we're going to talk a lot about him. Uh, my first introduction to his work was um, as a 
Hong Kong action movie fan. Yeah. Uh, being told that the killer was basically a remake of a French movie called Les Samurai, uh, which was his. And so the first uh, Melville movie I saw was like kind of being confused, trying to see why it was considered the source material, although they're similar in a lot of ways. I was going to say the plots are almost exactly are, are super yeah. close the style is radically different from the killer but the That's, plot is almost yeah. the same the plot is the same um yeah. and uh so it definitely i did not dislike it i just was like okay yeah. this is the i other... expected like a french movie with like some kind of two gunned guys sliding right. down staircases and i stuff. was uh I, I was aware that the killer had been based off of it but i actually never got around to watching la samurai until i heard it was one of the big inspirations on ghost dog the jim jarmusch movie um, right and that is a much closer comparison although ghost dog is also a bit more like melville the, he's sort of got a reputation as uh crime making gangster crime movies because that's what his most famous stuff mostly was and instead of like action or suspense i always feel like his movies it's, a, it's almost like existentialist cool like is the the mode they're in a lot of yeah. the time um you know the, these movies about sort of stoic men of action doing uh you know dangerous things um and uh, for all I know, he may have been a stoic man of action uh, because uh, yes, <laughs> this movie is a very, um, even though it's based on a novel, um, it's based on a novel by Joseph Kessel. Um, um, and although not a very faithful adaptation from what I can gather and that John Pierre Melville used the setup of the novel to kind of rewrite it into somewhat of his personal experience of being a part of the French resistance. Mm -hmm. And, um, but his experience and Kessel's apparently were not too dissimilar in that yeah. regard. Um, but what I know of the book is from reading some very intense reviews of it. I could not find the book. Um, in English translation, except for, for very expensive editions. <laughs> so um, uh, if I ever find a library copy of it, I will probably read it, or if I find a cheap copy at some point. Um, however, um, I do know, I will at some point point out some things that are different. Mm. Um, however, the book is very important because the book is a, kind of a first like person narrative look at being a part of the french resistance as i said earlier it's the first time a story about the french resistance like got out to the world it was originally published in algiers and in the states in 1943 but um it was of course banned um in france at the time and did not like become uh released there until after the war for obvious reasons um and uh, Melville and his brother um, were both heavily involved in the resistance. And from what I could tell, um, they had to escape by, um, at one point, by um, hiking into Spain. And his brother was taking money for de Gaulle to, Eng to England and was robbed and murdered um, in the attempt. 
which is pretty intense. Um, so Melville came, that was his pseudonym in the war. He chose it because of the director, um, Melville and, uh, author, he, author, Herman Melville, uh, author, Herman Melville. Yeah. Sorry. Um, and then, um, it was, it became his stage name, like after the war, which is, uh, fairly interesting. Um, and, uh, Joseph Kessel, who wrote the original novel, is um, got all kinds of medals and stuff after the war for his efforts. Um, he went on to write many more novels after the war and wrote um, a really fantastic movie called Night of the Generals. Have you seen Night of the Generals? Night of the Generals is great. It's about um, it's a uh, uh, I think Donald Pleasance is in it. If my I saw it so long ago, but um, sure. and that's about some German officers who get accused of of rape and the French trying to put these German officers on trial, like during the occupation. Mm. Very good stuff. Um, have not seen it in a long time. Um, this is telling me I need to revisit that. Um, <laughs> but he wrote that movie. That was an original. That was his one original screenplay. Okay. But yeah, that's our setup. So what's your history with Army of Shadows? You said you, oh, wait, we went through that. You saw it. Yeah. yeah. yeah the, okay. So, but this time seeing it, uh, what's your first thoughts after watching it again? Yeah. Um, I mean, I still, it's kind of like when people talk about spy novels. I remember, this is, maybe this will be convoluted and too specific to my, uh, my personal experience, but I remember, um, in graduate school go for it <laughs> history of history of foreign relations in a class on that and we had one about spies and spycraft it was it was u.s foreign relations specifically and i remember there were all these essays talking about how difficult it is to do the history of espionage for reasons you can probably imagine and one person uh one of the articles i remember saying that like from what they've it was a scholar of espionage and of u.s intelligence services saying um, he, you know, we have these ideas, romantic ideas of what spycraft and things are, but I think the best, uh, probably the most accurate representations are what you find in John le Carre novels, where it's these kind of little quiet bureaucrats who are half con man, you know, like constantly mm. tricking and, and each other and not necessarily a lot of action. And like this similarly, like has that verisimilitude of like, when you read, um, any number of like people who've been involved in clandestine resistance movements, um, their memoirs, a lot of it you get uh, is about just the constant tension and the constant, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's not exciting necessarily. It is and it isn't, right? Because, no, oh, hold on. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully the sirens are past there. Um, hey, Chicago. <laughs> well, we're, we're really close to where a huge concentration of hospitals are, so we get a lot of ambulances going by. Ah, uh, gotcha. on a major street that goes up to, like, several of the major hospitals. So We get um, motorcycles because we oh, have biker bars down the street from us. Oh, we get motorcycles at night because the kids drive their motorcycles around. But, you know, um, anyway, the, uh, uh, but to get back to this, so it's a similar sort of thing. It is a story of the French resistance, but it's a story of a lot of people very being very quietly sneaking around in pretty mundane um locations right um right 
it's well, one of the complaints about this movie is that some people accuse it of being like talky and boring and that is just mind-boggling to me because i think it's people not paying attention to what's actually happening in the story well, because they're used yeah. to hollywood movies where things go boom all the time exactly and, and the specter of death and torture hangs over every scene of this movie Yes, and the movie reminds you there are multiple times where characters, several of the different you know major characters are captured, tortured. They never quite show the torture scenes, but they show you the aftermaths a lot of the time. Um, yeah, and same thing. Like yeah, you, you the movie trusts you to understand the stakes of doing clandestine resistance against a Nazi occupation. Like um, it's not going to hold your hand to say these people are risking their and their family. I mean everyone once actually no i shouldn't say they aren't going to hold your hand because there's at least one point where they really explicitly lay this out but like you're risking your life all of your loved ones all of your family um you know that any screw up and also it's interesting the 43 things interesting because it's my understanding from my reading on this um is this very much was a period where the french resistance was small and largely focused on espionage right they were doing intelligence gathering maybe some small acts of sabotage, occasionally trying to liberate prisoners. Um, but this is prior to actual, this isn't like armed guerrilla action per se. Yeah, um, that in the Maquis movement, what kind of happened more yeah. when they, uh, when the Germans started trying to draft them to build mu- mu- munitions, exactly. right? That's, that was the mistake that the Germans made with the French because that sent everybody out into <clears throat> the woods to start fighting. Yeah what i could again just like from my reading of the history i i it's also obviously was not there so it's also the point where the war is starting to uh the tide is clearly starting to turn or may not clearly but it's appearing to right because you have the successful north africa campaign east don't never discount the eastern front right the stalingrad siege fails um yeah which is arguably the most important battle of the war at least in that theater uh in in europe um you know and the invasion of sicily or sicily and then italy begins so that also really helps sort of up the amount of like outright warfare but this is before that this is just small groups of people sneaking around you know in Um, occupied france yeah yeah i mean i guess it does expect you to I mean, it's, you know, it's a very mature story, right? This isn't a movie with like exciting heroes, and the heroes themselves, you know, the the main protagonist is this kind of stocky middle-aged man in glasses who says very little and has just this stoic look on his face the whole time. He's not a hero. By the way, the I don't know if we've mentioned this yet in the recording, but I've heard people. The the yeah, I know you brought up and I've heard it as well. The comparisons to Andor, people saying Star Wars Andor, yeah, um, plays a lot like this. Boy, we did oh talk boy. about that in the recording. Scar- yeah, yeah Skarsgård's character is to me. I was like, oh, this guy Gerbier, whatever. You know, the the main protagonist felt like Skarsgård's character. He's the central organizer who seems to just be like this quiet, middle aged, middle class man. You know, unassuming. Right whatever and he's he's the guy with his fingers in every pot like he knows where everybody is he's constantly you know making the decision to you know early on they have to assassinate one of their comrades who's turned people in right he's the one right. who's making that decision and holding the line being like no we can't 
this guy has already led to multiple deaths and tortures we can't let him survive right right um, and andor as a character is a uh something that happens in in star wars that kind of makes the war and the fascism more real than anything else yeah. in the saga when he kills an informant in rogue one right and um this is something that is ugly it's it's not ro- a romantic view of the rebels and in the same sense this is this is that's the comparison to army of shadows i yeah. think is because exactly. they do ugly things it's not a, a pretty view and by the way uh this movie did not had bad timing on its yep. release in france and was not a very popular movie because a lot of people saw it as very pro de gaulle and um he was de gaulle was not having a good moment yeah and the 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 protagonist is pretty openly de gaullist they go you know there's a brief period where the a couple of the fighters end up back in london they meet with the gaullist leadership the the free french leadership um which isn't to say like i mean you know as was really the case of the french resistance as well wasn't just de gaullist like one of the guys he works with is a communist right um but uh but yeah, it was bad timing in 69 because it was de Gaulle who put down this 68 student movement. And so he was seen very much as like the face of conservative France at that point. And um, um, it was thought that that hurt the box office for this movie in France. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and certainly, uh, it hurt the reviews when it came out because a yeah. lot of those, especially the most famous film critics of the time, tended to be pretty uh, explicitly left wing. Um, Absolutely. And one of the major differences between the novel and the book is that Melville chose in the film to not focus on the politics of the characters. Mm -hmm. Um, You almost don't, it's almost hard to miss sometimes who's the communist, who's the communist, who's who's what. It's mentioned in passing, but in the context of the work they're doing, that stuff doesn't really matter. The political ideologies apparently are a much bigger part of the novel. Mm. and including the scene when they're all facing execution and they share the cigarette um uh, apparently in the book that scene they all declare like they they have the the scene in the book is a very intense discussion of where each person's ideology lands so which um you know sounds like a cool scene and another reason that made me (laughs) want to read the book um yeah uh but yeah, so that was part of the reason why the reception of the movie wasn't like super, super great. Um, I think in hindsight, when we can get away from like the kind of history of that, we can kind of look at the movie more on its own terms of, you know, we're not as invested in, in hating De Gaulle right now. Uh, right. And and so, but my personal feeling is, is that, you know, yeah, it's not a shoot 'em up movie, although there is, there's a few scenes like that. There's the escape from the the first arrest, uh, and um, there's there's there are scenes. There's a scene where where they the Nazis make everyone run in front of the Gatling guns and all that. And so there yeah. are shoot 'em up scenes, but that's not what this movie's about. This movie is yeah. about the the tension, the fear, and the um, the unromantic view of resistance move, movements in general. Mm-hmm. Um, is I think what drives this movie. It's a 
spy movie set in World War II with the French Resistance in a very grown-up way. Yeah. Um, and uh, but as somebody who's has studied like these movements, like what did you think about the way that the movements operated in this movie? Because I I yeah. thought um I really liked how ugly things got like um that felt realistic to me uh, yeah I, and i would say also like the the play of loyalties the ways that betrayal happened that's all absolutely true right the way that they different people have leverage used against them once they're captured um that kind of stuff and and yeah when you get into these kind of violent struggle like that kind of forces your hand it kind of forces all all elements then right down that path so a disagreement what might be a disagreement in one area like when it becomes down to someone handing people over to be tortured then they go well you know yes this might be a comrade i've worked with for a long time i may even personally like but he's a threat to my life other comrades life the movement we've got to kill him right i mean you know that kind of stuff and i guess one of the things i liked though also is um i think i mentioned like and people have brought this up about it that it, there's elements of like almost survivor guilt to this which i think it people have made this contrast between the movie and the no, and the novel it's based on because the novel was written during the war um and again like I, one of the things i read is that it apparently generally comes off as a little more hopeful um yeah. and uh this one we all know how things eventually work out right and so it allows a little bit more room to play with the you know, to, to try to start dealing with some of the the, the moral compromises and the, the ethical quandaries and the like personal and psychological and like emotional um, toll it takes on on these people, right? Like that all of them, it again, they're very stoic. It's the kind of movie you just sort of have to watch and pay attention to the, the looks on faces, the occasional sort of slip where someone says something. I will say one point, it kind of plays its hand towards the end where, um, and by the way, it's we could give a plot synopsis, but it really is sort of just episodic, like this following this guy, um, again, was it Gerbier, I think is his name, um, <clears throat> through a period of what, maybe a year or so. Um, and so it's just sort of from one event to the next as he goes around sort of or trying to do this clandestine organizing and um towards the end he and he he mentioned that he escapes this he's able to escape a uh firing squad with some help from other resistance you know comrades and they put him up in a house and basically leave him alone for a month like it's in a ostensibly abandoned house in the country and to make sure that he's safely out no one knows where he is no one connects him to the other members of the resistance whatever he's left alone in this house with like four dense philosophy books and a bunch of food yeah. and um and he's and so we get his voiceover as he's filling out like he's you know they show him like writing a diary and whatever and so that kind of plays his hand a little bit where he talks you get a sense of the the toll all this takes on him, right? Um, and really playing out the like, yeah, sure, you can think about how you would try to live that double life, right, as a resistance fighter, but it really does come through how on edge they are, both in terms of like their lives, but also their their mentalities, like their emotional state. Um, again, if you're paying close attention to it. Yeah. Uh, 
that scene too like you get the idea that he doesn't know how long he's gonna be there he doesn't know and and there's a lot of like like they all have they all know death is right around the corner like that that's one of those things that comes clear throughout the movie like at a certain point i mean honestly the most interesting character in that sense for me more so is one of the it's the only female resistance fighter this woman mathilde who uh everybody just speaks so highly of this woman apparently just a a parisian housewife who has incredible skill at disguise acting whatever she seems and just she's an incredible intelligence gatherer an incredible planner she's the one who plans this escape from the firing squad um she tries to plan another escape that only that nearly succeeds where she pretends to be a nazi nurse and goes into the middle of a military hospital uh to get a guy out and it's only thwarted because the doctors won't release him because he's dying anyway um right you know and so like she's incredible and and um but again it's also very clear that like she knows her death could come at any moment and like that's sort of the ultimate climax of the movie is when she gets captured and uh they sort of play this all out like there's this whole conversation about how they have to kill her because once she gets released it's clear that like the Nazis are trying to use her as an informant. Um, and again, it's one of those things where they just sort of game it all out and they're like, you know what? She would want us to do that. And then they go and make sure she knows who's doing, who's killing her and she just accepts it. But it's really intense. And it's a silent scene when that happens, right? Um, but like, that's sort of the point. It's like these people are, they're living on this edge the whole time, right? where they're up against this incredibly brutal power and to be able to resist it at all means they also have to compromise themselves. Um, Maybe not the same level of brutality, right? right? Like they're not going out and killing the whole families of people who are, (laughs) who betray them or something. Uh, They're not setting up concentration camps. Um, So it's not to put it on an equivalent layer to the Nazis are resisting, but they do have to compromise themselves. And that's sort of a huge chunk of it is like living that life of both, you know, death is constantly around the corner and I maybe, you know, myself, um, you know, dirtying myself in so many ways. Again, thinking about it, for those of you who found it after Andor, that seems to me to be the real um connection yeah Um, and there's also with the people who found it after andor there's the whole like there there's a whole part where andor is that what that where he's waiting for the heist on that planet Mm -hmm. there's also that connection it's clear to me that gilroy was influenced by that's why i think one that i think when when jacob made that comparison on on film twitter I think that's one of the reasons why it was actually apropos because it seemed like Gilroy was influenced by Army of Shadows. It really does. Uh, no, um, but like I said, there's direct characters, like in particular, Skarsgård's character is pri- basically Gervier. Like, yeah. and he even, and he explicitly says, right, at certain points, some of the st- points I was making that come through here about the moral compromises he's had to make and the things he's sacrificing uh, or potentially sacrificing for this cause. You know? Yeah, that speech that he gives in An- Skarsgård's character gives in Andor, like you could put it in Army of Shadows, and it wouldn't. Yeah. It would. It wouldn't exactly. miss a beat. 
Um, so Army of Shadows, one of the things that makes that movie so good is that, like you said, and also another comparison to Andor is that it is episodic in the sense of there's it's a long movie, but it has different parts that like kind of make up episodes of of what's happening. And you certainly could have extended and blown out the story into like a TV series over like 10 episodes or whatever. If you had the time, but you know, they were, it's, a, it's all done very well in the movie and the, the movie does a really good job of, of, of telling a tense story that never really kind of loses its steam. That is if yeah. you're paying attention a lot, like, and we keep saying that because I think a lot of people will find this movie to be boring and it's, no, there's not a lot happens in some ways, like by, yeah. by the standard, again, compare to contrast with something like Andor, right? Right. Um, right. Like, admittedly, people talk about the sort of saggy first three episodes of Andor, although I think they do a good job of sort of setting up the, the stakes and the relationships, Agreed. You know, that kind of stuff. But I also agree that it doesn't actually get really riveting till maybe the fourth episode. But like, the one contrast I would make with any Star Wars or most Hollywood movies, right, is that this it isn't playing a, like there is a climax there is a moral catharsis of a sort but it is not necessarily satisfying um it is not like you know like it's it's grim as shit right like like i said probably the if there's a character who's there it's not a movie that is allows for a cool badass the way star wars would right or most exciting war movies um but if there is one it's probably matilde again who is not an action person you never see her pull a gun or even run i think but she's yeah. a, she's a constantly pulling off this incredible stuff for the for the movement, and um, the movement itself kills her at the end, right? And then we get immediately after that we get a cards explaining how everybody else got captured and killed. Yeah, within a no. year, like yeah. it is grim. It, 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 it is does... a grim movie, and yeah. it is not a satisfying, cathartic like, yay, we won. It, there's no dancing in the Parisian streets at the end. Even even another of my favorite urban guerrilla movies of all time, Battle of Algiers, does have a tri- heroic, triumphant ending, even if all the protagonists are dead at that point. They don't do yeah. it. Army of Shadows is not that. It is just this story of that. In, in some ways, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting. One of the criticisms apparently got at the time beyond the Gaulism thing is people saying that it was Melville telling um, the Resistance story as if it was one of his gangster movies. And I think that's an interesting comparison too because these are not unlike a lot of movies about criminals. These are people who are, you know, they're living day to day. They're hustling in some yeah. ways. You know, they're hustling and spinning plates and they know that they can't keep it up forever. Now, it's different in that they're doing it for a cause instead of just sort of opportunistic, you know, wealth or something. But it is a similar sort of thing. And I think that's partially why he could tell the story the way he did, because he's used, he had some experience telling stories of that kind of life. Yeah. And just as a film, um, it, it, it looks very good. It was a first time cinematographer, apparently fresh out of film school um the movie um is uh framed very well it's very well made so um and what i think is one of the things that about its grimness is that it makes it 
like a different experience. It makes it a very different experience from watching most movies. And there's a feeling of Melville's experience comes across in the film. Like you can tell that somebody um, had this experience and didn't want to flinch about telling it. I mean, do you, yeah. do you feel that way? I feel like you can feel his experience in every minute. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Although apparently I read that some people, including folks who worked on the movie, were questioned his service in the actual resistance. He definitely served in the French Free French Army. Um, once they actually were, you know, post D-Day, apparently he was actually in the military. Um, but whether, how, you know, there's some question about how much he actually was in sort of clandestine stuff before that. But um, it very much did feel like, or if not his, then yes, the experiences of folks he knew. Um, well, I guess we do know for certain, right, that he did at least do a little bit of like trying to sneak resources to the Gaulist government and things like that. Yeah. Um, and we know his brother died in the process of doing that. Yeah, exactly. So he definitely had an intimate experience precisely with this kind of stuff. And I, yeah, I agree. I think it's, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but um, it certainly seems like, a, a way of telling this story that I can't imagine someone who didn't directly experience it this way would come up with, um, you know, to tell it as this kind of constant low boil tension. Um, again, without, without any action, without, well, I don't say any action set pieces, you could argue the escape from the, from the firing squad potentially, but, um, Although and when they short. the first arrest when he escaped by oh yeah that that's true the first escape is actually which is actually pretty awesome pretty badass dude yeah. just stabs this nazi guard in the throat just unflinching in a second just up boom knife in the throat and then he's running um pretty amazing but like uh and he very... knows the guy escaping with him is not going to make it and he's yeah, just like yeah. he yeah, basically exactly. lets you know uses that guy to, to get out yeah you know and so um it's there's a little bit of that and also doesn't have the spy movie you know there there is secrets being dropped off and plans being made but it's not your sort of usual like we must get x mcguffin to save the world or something like none of that kind of stuff it is just sort of the mundane moment to moment um which again strikes me as it's not unlike a lot of stories you read both from like resistance movements but also like any kind of war situation right this weird mixture of boredom and tension um right where you're ex waiting for the big thing to happen at the same time as most of the time it's not happening right so yeah i watched a um a q a with some historians talking about this movie and one of the things they said was that they felt like in some ways this movie downplayed downplays the effect that the french resistance had because it was too early to show like the major impacts that the French resistance had towards the end of the war, but um, at the same time, you know, that had to do with like how early in the war it took place. Yeah, um, I, I would also argue, I guess that's one angle, if you're from the perspective of like a certain kind of military or political history, I get maybe making that criticism. Like for me, again, my background was sort of what they call social or cultural history. And looking at social movements on that level, something like this, that's, again, it feels like trying to get at the the experience of the rank and file resistance member. Um, this seems like a really powerful sort of testament to that. Um, again, 
not necessarily as somebody who's an expert on the French resistance specifically, but having read an awful lot about a lot of different guerrilla, read and watched and whatever, a lot about a lot of different guerrilla movements. Like, again, this really strikes me as similar to a lot of the stories you hear about these, like that, that constant tension, that constant right. sort of, again, kind of like kind, a little bit like a gangster story, a little bit like a war story. Um, <clears throat> You know, but I think it's one of the better resistance movies. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> outside of, I mean, I'm kind of only half joking about like V being one of the best, but um, <laughs> I mean, I would argue Battle of Algiers. Um, Battle of Algiers for sure. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe State of Siege. You ever seen that one? It's Costa Garras movie about um, some uh, Tupamaros, the Uruguayan guerrillas uh, kidnapped an American. Um, ambassador in the early 70s um but that's a really really good one um classic sort of 1970s movie political sort of post 60s uh movie about guerrilla resistance against dictatorship um <clears throat> from the same director z to give you a sense of the sort of where that's coming from but um but yeah there's not a there's not a lot of great one i mean the, no I mean, and you and I and went to a Q and A for Soderbergh's Che, which was just that's a that's a decent one, and it's interesting because the when they do make them, they're always calling back to Battle of Algiers or Army of Shadows, right? Depending on how action packed you want to make it, right? Um, <laughs> well, that's um, true, and and I do I I remember Soderbergh referencing Battle of Algiers, but uh, Army of Shadows wasn't really on my. Um, radar at the time but i don't um, i don't think you would with chase story he was not involved in that kind of work um, yeah I, it just wouldn't fit um yeah. i mean maybe a little bit around certain things but no he was very much the like organizing in the in the countryside something closer to what you think of as like guerrilla warfare as class well in fact yeah he is his experience is what we think of when we think of classic guerrilla warfare right small arm band doing you know doing tactical raids on a superior, well, superior force kind of thing yeah and so the one of the things about army of shadows too i think that makes it such a a a, a i mean i think that the the non-romantic view of the resistance is actually really part of its strongest foundations because if the movie had like kind of a propaganda feel to it of like yeah. yay raw look at the French resistance, it wouldn't be the same thing because yes. um, it wouldn't have that tension that that hangs over every minute of it, you know? Yeah, and in fact, when bringing up Battle of Algiers, similar sort of thing happened where um, I remember reading once where the, the director was, right, was Italian, um, Gilo Pontecorvo, and he was hired by the Algerian government shortly after the revolution, right, to make this movie. And apparently they clashed and both visions they had initially sounded terrible where Ponte Corvo wanted to do one about a a European journalist who comes and sort of learns about the war and decides that he's gonna support the Algerian independence movement it's a very white savior-y kind of thing or reminds me of a lot of other cringy movies you know think of something like Cry Freedom when let's do a movie about Stephen Biko where half of it is about the white guy he made friends with trying to escape um you know stuff like that and then the Algerian government just wanted to make a rah, 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 yay, we, you know, hooray, we won our independence against the bad empire. And uh, um, 
in the compromise, they ended up producing something much more real, you know, something much Absolutely. more intense and serious. And similarly, like, I think Melville's tendency to focus on that kind of um, the procedural element of just living in the resistance really helps. And if it had been a heroic spy or action story, it probably wouldn't be have been as controversial at the time and probably wouldn't be as well remembered now, right? Right. And it's interesting with the Battle of Algiers, it, it seems like maybe they could have just uh, done a Franz, Franz Fana biopic or, or whatever. Well, I don't know. It just, I mean, he, just he, he, was an it, he was an important intellectual figure, but not uh, necessarily a leader in the actual revolutionary movement. That's but, true. Um, that's true. And um, whereas they actually got leaders in the revolutionary movement to act in the movie. So. <laughs> That's uh, true. Yeah. And uh, if people haven't seen Battle of Algiers, it is one of the greatest movies ever made. So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a good, it's a good companion piece again for these kind of the rare movies that have this kind of um, unvarnished, if, you know, view of resistance movements and guerrilla warfare that isn't necessarily unsympathetic to them either though. Right. Um, it's not demonizing the resistance movements, but it's also not pretending like this is, you know, this is unproblematic heroic resistance, right? Sorry, I had the flashing Philip K. Dick for a moment. Um, <laughs> it's okay, I can flash mine real quick. Yeah, oh, there you go. Um, <laughs> well, um, so just to kind of wrap things up, I think um, Army of Shadows is... You know, it, it's a really powerful movie. I think it's one of the um, best movies of of the conflict. That it's super underrated as far as a World War II movie goes because um, it's and and maybe it doesn't get thought of that way because it's there's no battles, there's no like front lines, there's no. But it's of the era of the time, so I mm -hmm. personally think it's one of the best, most tense movies yeah. of the era. And especially, I would say also, like, as somebody of that generation, you know, as somebody who actually fought in the war, right, um, he actually served in the resistance. Like, not that there weren't filmmakers who did, who served and did some very good movies based off of their experience, but um, <clears throat> it's, it's an interesting one because of that sort of ambivalence about it and the way you know the darkness of it um to come from somebody who actually you know describing his own experiences and or his families and whatever um with the war and you know as somebody also again he was a, he was a gaullist he but yeah you know, well i don't know if he was in well i mean i guess if he served the free french although the free french army was anybody who was anti-fascist was you know willing to sign up for it um but regardless regardless of his personal politics um, you know, he was explicitly anti-Nazi, personally put his life on the line for the cause, but is also willing to, like, unpack and wrestle with, you know, his, that experience and the, the you know, the, the range of it, not just the heroism, um, you know, so, and I, I don't know, I, I, there's got there's got to be a few other world movies about world war ii from world world war ii veterans that do that but there's not a lot right um not like this not like this movie no. 
Yeah. Sorry, my mute button was playing havoc with me there. Um, all right, so to Army of Shadows is a really um, fantastic World War II movie. So just my yeah. last thoughts on it are that uh, it is underrated. It's uh, a movie that can be studied and thought about um, very deeply. There's a lot to be said. Um, under the surface it's one you can watch multiple times and get different okay. levels out of uh do you have any final thoughts on uh, army of shadows yeah i'm not sure if i would call it underrated necessarily because when it got its revival in the mid 2000s people were like saying you know 2006 there were people saying it was the best foreign language film released in the u.s it's like you know at that point it was 37 years old um so it, it took a long time to get a reevaluation. Sure. it was probably under it was underappreciated in its time definitely um and yeah again if it especially i would imagine somebody interested in the kind of stuff that uh that you write um if they're serious about the politics something like army of shadows is worth your time right um and even if it you know even if it is slow burn it's quiet it's subtle i mean i don't think it's subtle but it's subtle compared to what you might expect from film a lot of the time yeah. And certainly going to be more subtle than your novel, <laughs> but yes, yes, <laughs> those comparisons are not not good. No, but anyway, um, but uh, but uh, the other thing also is like Melville, if nothing else, like watch it to appreciate. Like the guy's an incredible filmmaker. Everything he does has this sense of style and cool. Even a even this kind of dark meditation on, um, you know, on the experience of the French Resistance, like dude you know he he was a lot of people have even argued that he may have sort of been the original french new wave director and just no one called him that um because he was doing this incredibly like innovative filmmaking and like i said if, if you would all like that kind of the french mid-20th century existentialist cool like this movie drips with it as as long with also being again slow dark um depressing in a lot of ways i mean it's not a not a pretty picture but boy you can also bask in just these like stoic intelligent people all very well dressed sort of like carefully doing their work um if you can get down with that um maybe if you watch another melville movie you watch like le samurai or circle circle rouge or something and you like how he handles gangster stories you will definitely like this um, right and I will say that there is some uh, spycraft and some like scenes in the last night to kill Nazis where uh, double agents are dealt with and so on and so forth. So there, mm -hmm. there are some similar moments, but with vampires. So, um, well, a vampire, <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, and yes, I admit, like a lot of the motivation was, wouldn't it be fun to watch a vampire kill a whole bunch of Nazis? Um, and uh, the part of the inspiration for that was we, uh, you know, we had a synagogue shooting here in San Diego um, not too recently, uh, a few years ago in Poway. So writing something that kind of deals with anti-Semitism was uh, was something that um, uh, appealed to to me um and to uh my jewish publishers too so at clash books so um we had a lot of fun doing that so uh um 
I'd say Army of Shadows is um, in the vein of, I don't think the movie hates, well, the movie hates Nazis for sure. Yes, um, no, the Nazis, it is unambiguous that the Nazis are uh, just, yeah, are a horrific terror, right? I mean, they are right. a, just an all-encompassing, yeah, they are a totalitarian terroristic force throughout the movie. Like, it is yeah. unambiguous about that, yeah. And one of my favorite things about the new Indiana Jones movie is it definitely hates Nazis. Um, <laughs> and I should note that the prologue to the new Indiana Jones movie takes place the same night as my book. So, <laughs> all right. That, there you know, is that. <laughs> you know, by the way, we didn't mention this on Five Graves, but the fact that it's about Nazi archaeologists may have me wondering, like, did Spielberg see this when he was a kid? <laughs> like... <laughs> Uh, Cameron Crowe was quoted as saying that it was that that it had to be an influence on on uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so I mean, it wasn't the only thing with, you know, the German archaeologists were big for a long time and the Nazis never hid their interest in occult and esoteric nonsense. So yeah. it's not like you couldn't have come up with it independently. But like the fact that it is a story about that it hinges on german archaeologists doing work in egypt right uh <laughs> nazi archaeologists doing work in egypt is like the, i don't know yeah like it is an interesting there. thing well and and that's one of the things that you know if last night does well um you know on sale now from clash books uh pre-order now um if it does well, I would love to have Noah like fighting Nazis with various monsters throughout uh, yeah. the backdrop of World War II, even though we know how it ends um, on the on the last day. But um, uh, also, um, yeah, because I mean, he's an OSS agent. There's lots of things and monsters that he could be finding all over the war theater. So uh plenty of opportunity there uh if it does well but i love the idea that um uh you know i know that the whole nazi occult thing has been blown up but it makes so much uh fun for uh storytelling so oh yeah sure so you can do that um so on that note um so you guys all have to people out there have to buy a lot of copies of the last night to kill nazis if my army of shadows styles uh, prequel um with the french resistance and noah is ever to to happen um so just just know that it's it's on on all y'all uh mm -hmm. to uh get out there and get the last night to kill nazis but um and uh yeah and so i think at the end i'm i'm doing a, an okay job of, of of getting the word out there about this sure. uh, that's the whole point um so if you made it this far uh congrats to you uh folks listening um you're a true world war ii movie nerd um i believe the next episode of this particular mini series um we will be covering a bridge too far and a little bit pulpier one in paratroop command um uh but it may be the dirty dozen we haven't done the dirty dozen yet so mm. um i gotta do that oh, that's a that's a classic run around and kill lots of nazis movie Oh, and uh, Cross of Iron is coming up. We're going to do Cross of Iron. Oh, Peckinpah. interesting. You know, I haven't actually seen that. It's one of the Peck and Paul movies I haven't seen. Yeah. So those are all movies that are coming up. So if you made it this far and you want to get ahead of me and watch that, we'll continue to do a few of these episodes after the book comes out. 
Um, and then the last thing that I have to announce that is the, the Southern California book tour in September 14th through the 17th with Cody Goodfellow promoting his techno thriller vertical and John Shirley promoting his uh, military sci-fi novel Suborbital Seven, which is um, about um, kicking uh, Putin's Russia's ass. Uh, so to, themed with the the Nazi theme, um, uh, but he's got a lot of uh, beating up on uh, on Russia, I guess, in his book, from what I hear. Okay. Uh, you know, John and I had an argument last year because he put out, he did a, a an action series that got turned into a Stallone movie called The Specialist under the name John Cutter in the 80s. And okay. he recently did a John Cutter novel where he fought neo-Nazis. And we actually had an argument who killed more Nazis in our book um, over pizza. So, um, uh, and I know for a fact I kill at least 100 and 60 nazis in this book so okay at least 160 so uh on that note uh folks thanks for listening um dave do you want anyone to find you on social media or no not really i don't do much on social media that anybody would find interesting um so i i i'm very i'm barely active in where i am it's in very private places with people who know me well um sure so, I mean, I could talk about my own work, but I don't know this cr- crowd would be <laughs> interested. Well, you're an uh, archivist, librarian. Oh, librarian, but yes, yeah. not an archivist. Um, although, yeah, so I don't know. Uh, if you got an interest in indigenous Mesoamerican languages, I'm helping lead a project putting together a database of documentation of different indigenous languages. Um, and I've got a co-edited book about independent publishing in Latin America coming out this fall, but um, not, yes, as you can see, very different from the subject matter here. It's uh, okay. Um, there's a story. I I was with my dad at a bookstore one time and I found a copy of one of my books on the shelf and signed it. And then he had to tell the cashier, uh, he had to say something about it. And he said, my son's books are under horror. Mine are under sleeping aids. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Funny joke. Yeah, yeah. That sounds yeah. about right. So on that note, uh, Dave Woken, thank you for joining me on the podcast and bringing your yeah. intense knowledge to these two films. Uh, I think this will be a highlight in the series. And uh, for everyone else, um, the next episode of Postcards from a Dying World. Um, well, no, you, we just... See, it's cool. We've had an astronomer on. We had a he- a guy who does a heavy metal um, talk show and and this. So fun stuff on the podcast. Academic librarian, I think is the easiest way to describe it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And we'll see you again next time.